Would you pray with me, please? Father, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord, Father, his life is such a blessing to us, not just because he lived and died and rose again, but because his life teaches us how to live our own lives. Mighty God, I pray that you would open your word to our hearts today, to our minds, that we may receive it and understand it and apply it. My Father, I pray you that you would speak to us as we offer ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Good morning, everyone. May I invite you please to open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke uh, chapter 2. I know that through this year we're primarily looking at the Gospel of Matthew, but today is a little different of a day. Uh, Today is uh, the day that liturgically we celebrate the presentation of Jesus at the temple. The presentation of Jesus at the temple. It it is always February 2nd, and normally we skip it, because if it falls during the week, it's not movable. But since it fell on a Sunday, we celebrate it today. And so it gives us a chance to actually take a look at a passage of Scripture that we normally may not look at very often, which is exciting, at least to me. It's very exciting that that I get to preach from a passage I probably haven't preached on for a while. So we're looking at the presentation of Jesus at the temple, which means that we are taking a step back to the baby stage of Jesus. In the prior weeks, we have been talking about Jesus as an older person, about 30 years of age, we looked at his baptism in the Jordan River with John the Baptist. Uh, we looked at his calling some of the first disciples. Uh, and we looked at some of those things. So in a way, we're stepping back uh, a little bit to look at the birth of Jesus. Here is a brief chronology for you. Brief chronology, if you want to kind of put this event in the life of Jesus in a time continuum, at least in the story of Jesus. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. We know that his parents came from Galilee, from Nazareth, according to Luke. They, uh, they came from Nazareth. We know that uh, the emperor had declared a census, which is what moved the whole family away from Nazareth to come down to Bethlehem to be enrolled for the census, which was the house and the descendants of David the king. So we know that Jesus uh, is born in Bethlehem of Judea, just south of Jerusalem. We know that upon his birth... He was announced to the world by angels. And particularly, he was announced to shepherds who left their flocks where they were and run 
to the manger scene uh, where they found the baby and glorified the Lord for all the things that, uh, that the Lord had revealed to them through the angels. We have to say at this point that it is correct for us to say that after the angels left, eight days later, Jesus was circumcised. We are not told exactly where they were circumcised, where he was circumcised, as far as whether he went to the temple in Jerusalem. We know that Mary could not enter the temple at that time. And I'll tell you why in a moment. So whether Jesus was circumcised in the temple, in the presence of his father, or whether he was circumcised at the synagogue in Bethlehem, we really don't know. But all we know for certain is that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. Then, after about 33 days after the circumcision of Jesus, we're talking about 40 days after his birth, we know that the entire family goes over to the temple to, in order for Mary to be purified, for the baby to be presented to the Lord, and for Joseph and Mary to redeem the baby. We'll talk about that in a moment. So we know that happened about 40 days after the birth of Jesus. The next thing I can place in the chronology of Jesus, and I cannot tell you how many days after or, or what, is the wise men come to Bethlehem and they find the child. Not so much the baby anymore, but the child. Whether a year had gone by, we're not sure. We just know that the word changes from baby to child. So we know that the wise men come to Bethlehem, which means the family hasn't moved yet. And after the wise men leave and take another way to go home, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph and says, Take your, the Mary and the child and go and become an immigrant going to exile in Egypt. Because those that are looking for the child will seek to, to kill him. So Joseph gets up, picks up Mary, the child, and they move the entire family over to Egypt. For a few years, perhaps. Until Herod dies. And then the angel of the Lord appears once again to Joseph and says, Take Mary and the child and move back to the Jerusalem area, or to the, back to Judea, or back to Israel. Joseph takes Mary and the child, moves back, they come to the area of Jerusalem, they realize the son of Herod, Archelaus, is in charge, a very ruthless man as much as his father, and that's where the family decides, let's go back up to Galilee, and that's where we will raise our family. And so they move to the 
to the city of Nazareth again, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. That's kind of the chronology where we can put all of these details of the life of Jesus that we gather from Matthew and we gather from Luke, because neither John or Mark has any of these narratives of the birth of Jesus. So we gather these two narratives from Matthew and Luke, and that's kind of the chronology that makes sense. Today, I want to teach you several things. One, I want us to look at what God is doing in the birth of Jesus. Two, I want us to look at the family of Jesus. I want to spend a little time looking at the Holy Family. I also want us to take number three, I want us to look a little bit at Jesus himself. And number four, I want us to look a little bit about the faith of the Jewish people at this time. So four things that I want to teach you today, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. First, I want to guide you a little bit to understand what God and how God is acting in the birth of Jesus. One of the things I want you to see is that God doesn't just say, my baby or my child is going to be born in Bethlehem and takes his hands out of the whole event. I want you to notice how God seems to be guarding every detail of the birth of Jesus Christ. Every detail, nothing is outside of the perimeters of God's involvement, God the Father's involvement in the bringing of the Son into the world. And I want you to notice, especially in the Gospel of Luke, how much the Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the entire birth of Jesus. How much the Holy Spirit is ever present in the birth of Jesus. First of all, it is because of the Holy Spirit that the conception takes place. Amen? The angel appears to Mary in the Annunciation and says to her, You're going to be with child. God has chosen you of favored one. And she kind of asks a few questions and then says, But how can this be? I don't know a man. I have never been with a man sexually. How can I be with child? And the angel says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And you will be found with child. You will be pregnant by the power of God through His Holy Spirit. And this child will be known as the Son of God, but also the Son of Man through Mary the Virgin. He's both human and God. If Mary doesn't quite believe the angel, that she's indeed pregnant from the moment that the Holy Spirit came upon her, the angel says to her, your cousin Elizabeth, the one that is already past her menstrual cycle, and she's an old woman and unable to bear any children, she's pregnant. In fact, she's about six, pregnant, six months pregnant ahead of you. 
So Mary decides to go see Elizabeth, kind of to check whether the angel is telling her the truth. The moment that Mary, already pregnant with Jesus, comes into the presence of Elizabeth, the baby in the womb leaps and starts kicking and moving and rushing around and, and making, uh, making clearly that he recognizes who he's in, in the presence of. And that's John the Baptist. So he is filled with the Holy Spirit since his mother's womb. And then the Word tells us, the Word tells us that Elizabeth herself is filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment, and she begins to prophesy uh, upon Mary, and to, and to, how can it be that the mother of my Savior is coming into my presence? And she begins to speak. When John the Baptist is born, when John the Baptist is born, Everybody that comes to the birth come to Elizabeth and says, What shall be the name of this baby? And Elizabeth says, John. And people say, No. It's got to be Zachariah, like his father. Zachariah has been mute since the angel appeared to him when he was offering incense and offering sacrifice in the temple. The moment that Zachariah, obedient to God, declares that the name of the baby shall be John, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to prophesy. So now we find Mary... Filled with the Spirit, John the Baptist filled with the Spirit, Elizabeth filled with the Spirit, Zachariah filled with the Spirit, and now we find that as they come, uh, well, uh, another thing is, is this, the shepherds that came, they left worshiping and praising God, I got to tell you, nobody worships and praises God without the Holy Spirit. Not to the level that they, they seem to be so excited according to the Word of God. So the Bible doesn't tell you that the shepherds were filled with the Spirit. But I believe they were. Amen. I believe God was giving them a revelation like they never had. And an excitement about what God was doing through the Holy Spirit. But that's my idea, not the Word. The Word is not clear on that. But now, 40 days later... Forty days later, after the birth of Jesus, the family comes to the temple, and they find this man named Simeon, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to prophesy about Jesus. And once Simeon kind of moves out of that, Hannah, or Anna, comes and sees the child. She's a prophetess, filled with the Holy Spirit, and she begins to prophesy again about the baby. You've got to see how God is standing on guard over His Son. Everyone that comes in touch with the birth of Jesus somehow is filled with the Spirit of God in order to bear witness about this child. Amen? So that's the first thing I want you to see in this passage. The second thing I want you to see in this passage is the attitude, the devotion of Mary and Joseph. I want you to see this family as a family connected to God, surrendered to God, 
and who wants to live within the Word of God. Five times in this passage that I, that Diane read, five times there's reference to fulfilling the Old Testament. To fulfilling the word of the Lord. To fulfilling the law spoken through Moses. Five times in these few verses. And it always is with Joseph and Mary being obedient to the word of Almighty God as revealed to them in the Old Testament. All that they're about to do in the temple is because they are obedient and devoted to the Lord. What a family. Amen? What a family. You may say, well, today's very hard. Well, in their days was very hard too. But we have a family that's walking with the Lord and who wants to be obedient. First of all, let us look at the purification. Whenever a baby is born, there is, when the womb is open, there is blood and there's fluid that flows from the mother's womb. Amen? You ladies, you can tell me. Okay? So there is a bleeding that takes place. And not only that, the bleeding doesn't stop right away after the birth of the baby. The ladies, they bleed for a while. Okay? During the time that Mary is bleeding normally as a human being... She cannot come to the temple. She cannot come. She is considered impure at that point. According to Leviticus 12, and you can go there to check it out because it's beautiful to read it. Leviticus 12, she has to wait 33 days after the circumcision of the child. That puts her at about 40, 41 days. She has to wait before she appears in the presence of the Lord in order to purify herself. She prepares herself. She goes maybe through a bathing ritual like the Jews did for purification. And then she's able to come to worship in the temple. They are at the temple in order for her to be purified and for her child that was born through blood and that was born through those fluids also to be purified. The second thing that is happening in this event is that the baby is being presented to the Lord. The parents are coming to say to God, here, he is yours. Why is he yours? Because Exodus chapter 13 and you can look it up again later, says that the male child that opens the womb, the first male child that opens the womb of a woman, belongs to the Lord. Belongs to the Lord. Why? Because when God delivered Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand and a powerful God that He was, he killed all the firstborn of Egypt. Therefore, the firstborn of every human being belongs to Almighty God, as well as the firstborn of all animals. They would have to be sacrificed to the Lord or given to the temple for the temple's use. But the child that opens the womb, male, healthy, without blemish, belongs to the Lord. 
Therefore, Mary and Joseph are there to say, Lord, here is the child that opened the womb of Mary. It belongs to you. He belongs to you. But also, Exodus 13 says that the firstborn of a woman, the male firstborn of a woman, must also be redeemed. Redeemed. That means you have to give something in place of that child. Because he is returned by God. It is God's child, but he returns it to the family through the redemption that is offered. That's why they bring two turtle doves and two pigeons. Now, if you were a person of funds and money and ability, you are required to bring a lamb or a bull or a goat, something that would cost you more in order to redeem your first child. Which tells us that Joseph and Mary were not people of means. Because the poor only have to bring two turtle doves and two pigeons. So we can see that redemption of that child with what would be the redemption of a poor family. Or at least a family that is not able to give the bigger expense or, or, the, or, or the greater offering or the greatest gift. So that kind of tells us a little bit about the family in which Jesus was born. It tells us their devotion, their commitment to God, and how at the 40th day they come to fulfill all that is righteous before the Lord. Purification of Mary and the baby, presentation of the baby to the Lord, and the redemption of the baby who then is returned back to the family for them to raise him up. That's what's going on in this event in the life of Jesus. When they come to the temple, they meet this old man. I'm sorry, let, let me not say old man. <laughs> they meet a sage. <laughs> they meet a sage. Okay? Uh, kind of uh, like our sages ministry here. They meet a sage who is up in age, and we don't know anything very much about Simeon. We know that he's a resident of Jerusalem. He lives in Jerusalem, and part of his ministry is to be always in the temple. The other thing we know about him is that he is a righteous and devoted man of God. That means, or devout man of God. That means this man, Simeon, is a man of prayer. It's a man consecrated to God. It's a man who wants to submit to the Lord. It's a man who in a way has been standing guard in the temple, waiting. Because God told him that he would not die until he sees the Savior. So he's been in the temple all this time, waiting, looking at every child to see that's the one that the Holy Spirit is saying that he's the Messiah. The Lord has given him the ministry of guarding. And the moment he sees Jesus, 
The moment he sees Jesus, the Holy Spirit says to him, go to the temple, the time has come. He sees Jesus, he picks him up in his arms, and he begins to prophesy, Master, now let your servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to thy people Israel. And he just begins to prophesy about Jesus. And if you keep reading, he even prophesies about how Mary's heart will be speared through by the pain of what he will see happen to this child. And when he says to the Lord, my eyes have finally seen it, let me go now to be with you. He's in fact saying, I was in guard, I saw the baby, and now my ministry is finished, I'm ready to go home. I have fulfilled. It kind of sounds like John the Baptist, he came, he did his stuff, and then he disappeared by being beheaded. Well, this man, I'm assuming he just dies. He's an older person. He's faithfully come to the temple day after day looking for the salvation of Israel and now that he sees the baby he says this is the Lamb of God in my own words because that's John's words but he basically says I have seen the Savior I have seen the Messiah master let now your servant depart in peace filled with the Holy Spirit to testify about Jesus no, he hasn't quite even given the baby back. When a woman comes over, another sage, a female sage, an example and a model for the sages uh, in, in our midst. As Simeon is an example and a model for the men that are our sages. Devout men of prayer and righteousness who wait on the Lord to do the ministry that the Lord has called them to. He never said, okay, I'm too old now. On the contrary, he is going to fulfill the commitment that God has given him in his old age. Now we find a woman. What we know of this woman is very little. We know that she's from Galilee, from the tribe of Asher. We know that she's advanced in age also. It says that she's about 84 years old. It tells us that she lost her virginity to her husband. She lived with her husband for seven years, and the husband died. And from that seventh year, she never remarried, never laid with another man. But God became her husband in a way. She dedicated the rest of her life to being in the temple, day in, day out, praying, worshiping, fasting, and looking for the Messiah. She's a model for women and sages. When she sees the child, she begins to prophesy also. Filled. She's a prophetess. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And she be begins to bring attention to this child Jesus. And Mary and Joseph, it says that they're marveling. I mean, one thing is to have heard the angel and to have seen this and to have seen that. And it just keeps accumulating and they keep marveling. My goodness, this child is something else. They keep advancing in their own knowledge of the revelation of God about this child that they've given birth to or she's given birth to. 
And Joseph is, is the father. Uh, the father, at least earthly, to guard him and to, and, to, uh, and to raise him. Now I want to turn a little bit to look at Jesus, because this is part of the blessing that I receive in this passage. Uh, we, we've looked at, at the Holy Spirit and God. We've looked at, um, at the Holy Family. We've looked at, at, at Simeon and the faith of, of Israel. But one of the things that is so amazing to me which we, I don't want you to lose sight of, is how much the humanity of Jesus is shown here. Not only in all that they do, redeeming him. That's, that, you only do that for a human child. Purifying him. You only do that for a human file, child. His identification with us as the Son of Man, as one of us, as a human being, is immense. He's not only the Son of God, He's the Son of Man. And you know where the blessing is? For me, at least in, in, in another area, is that it says that Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was with him. And as the whole chapter ends, it repeats it again in verse 52 of chapter 2 of Luke. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. Jesus went through all of the changes that we humans go through. From baby to child to growing up to, to, uh, to all kinds. Whatever your children experience, Jesus experienced because he was not only God, he was fully man, fully identified with us, fully one of us, so that it is the man Jesus, God divine, who dies for us on the cross. Not an appearance of a man, but a real man. This child was fully human, and that's part of why the parents are so amazed about all of these prophecies. And here's where I want to apply it, and I want to help you apply the Word of the Lord today. First, I want you to take as a model of family life, the Holy Family. I want to ask you, families and parents, to take a look at the devotion of Mary and Joseph wanting to live in the Word of God and doing to the best of their ability all that was laid upon them. They chose to be obedient to God in every respect. They knew the Word and they wanted to do the Word. And we as family, as mothers and fathers, we need to understand that we are the model and the example of our children. If they're going to walk with the Lord, they're going to learn it first from us before they learn it from a preacher or a Sunday school teacher. They're always going to learn it first and foremost from the parents. What they see in the parents is what they're going to imitate and pay attention to. What they see at home. And I want to say to all families today, 
that you are extremely important in the salvation of your children. Don't leave it to the world. Don't leave it to others. It is to you that God looks that you may raise your children in the knowledge of the Lord. And so we need to look at the Holy Family and look at their attitude toward God, their behavior toward God, and all that they go through for the Word to be fulfilled. The second thing I want to say to you in application is that I know you love your children. I love mine. Now I'm loving my grandchildren. (laughs) I want to say to you that all of us good godly parents put a lot of effort in raising our children physically. We care for them. We feed them. We want to make sure they're not obese. We take them to doctor checkups. We always keep the checkups. We make sure that the dentist uh, appointments are kept. We look after the well-being physically of our children. Don't we? I believe we do because we do. I mean, we did, and we we see our children do it to our grandchildren. We care to feed them the best we can. We care to put them in sports so that they grow up active, so physically they are fit, so that they are ready for the world. We do any and everything that we can think of to make sure that physically they're growing healthy and strong. We want them to be men and women in the future that are strong and can handle anything in their lives. Amen? We do want that from our children. Secondly, I know that we put so much effort into their intellectual development. We want them to be bright. We want them to be smart. We make sure that we take them to the best schools whenever we can and if we can afford it. We keep talking to their teachers. We make sure the homework is done. We care about the grades. We challenge them. We do everything we can to make sure they're developing right mentally, intellectually, and that they're ready to know so that when they go into the world, they're intelligent people. We want them to be doctors and lawyers and presidents of the United States. We want them to reach for everything because we believe they have the intellectual capacity. But we don't always put the same effort in their spiritual upbringing. We don't always put the best effort in their spiritual upbringing so that they come to know the Lord. And I have to tell you this, their physical upbringing, one day they will die. Their intellectual ability, one day it will be gone. But their spiritual upbringing is for eternity. That's the one that lasts forever. And that's the one we're always giving to somebody else to do. If Jesus grew physically, mentally... And spiritually, our children have to grow in those three areas as well. If it was good enough for Jesus, it's got to be good enough for us and for our children. So I want to say to you parents, and to my daughters, to pay close attention to the growth of our children in all three of these areas. 
physically, mentally, and spiritually. Because the spiritual component is the one that will lead them to heaven and into eternity. Otherwise, everything else is lost in your children and grandchildren's life. It's here for a while and disappears. You have to make sure that they know the word. You have to make sure that you talk to the Sunday school teachers and you find out what they are teaching and how you can help at home. You have to make sure that you speak to your children about knowing the Lord and loving the Lord and you have to make sure they see it in you. Otherwise, you're just talking, but they're not listening. And that goes for our children, it goes for our grandchildren, and it goes for all. We have to value those little ones in the nursery today and in the Sunday school teacher, in the Sunday school room. They're not just the responsibility of Odmara and Jacqueline and Pilar and her daughter, or Amanda. They're the responsibility of this entire church, that they grow physically, mentally, and spiritually. And they become all that God wants them to become. And this is what I believe this passage teaches us. If it was good enough for Jesus, it has to be good enough for our families. Amen? Amen. Stand with us, please.